you haven't been with us, we've been going through the book of Genesis, uh, seeking to build a biblical worldview. We want to see the world through what God has, uh, how God has shaped us according to Scripture. And so we've already gone through Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and, and now we're into chapter 3. And if you, if you want to look in the back of the bulletin, if you'll notice that there's, there's kind of notes for the sermon, there's scripture references, so there's not all of them on there, but that may help you if you're hearing like, okay, what did he say? Maybe you can look on there, and if you can also look uh, after if you want to like, hey, what, did, where, what passage did he go to? Because I really want to show you that what I'm saying, and hey, this isn't my own opinion, this is what we find in the Word of God. So you just notice that on the back of the bulletin, those sermon notes. Friends, what if there was a, a sickness that affected everyone? Young and old and everyone got it and everyone passed it. Everyone who was born received it and it couldn't be stopped. And the outcome of everyone who got it was death 100% of the time. It's not a scenario, actually, what I'm talking about. It's a reality. That's what we're going to be looking at here today in the text of Scripture, the sickness of sin that every human has. Every child born gets passed on to them, and part of the, the sentence of sin is death. And no one's dodging it. No one's escaping it. 100% of the time, we all meet our Maker. That's what we'll be looking at in Genesis 3. Sin entering into the world. If you've been with us as we went into Genesis chapter 1 and we saw how God made everything in six days of creation. And how He made everything and it was good. It was good. And then on the sixth day of creation, He made man and woman in His image and His likeness. And He made them to rule over and have dominion over the earth and over all the animals of the land and of the sea and of the air. And he said it is very good. So we have that in chapter 1. We have six days of creation. Very good. And in chapter 2, we have actually God kind of going back into day 6 of creation and describing in greater detail how God made man and he put him into a garden and he made, made him in the garden to work it. And then he made woman for man. We looked at that last week, how God created marriage. Not a man should leave his father and his mother and, and then be united to his wife. They become one flesh, the currency of marriage. And again, that happened on day six. It's very good. Everything's very good. But then we come to chapter three. And it seems like things change quickly. It's a significant part of our story. The fall. It's, it's our story. But it's not the end of the story. As we're going to see even this evening. If you want to stand with me as we're going to read Genesis 3 verses 1 to 13. We're going to be looking at the first half of this chapter this evening. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, 
knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. May God's word bless our soul this evening. You can have a seat. This is the fall. Again, I just want you to see Genesis 1 and 2. Like everything's going good. It's very good. God's good creation. And then sin enters in. As we're looking at this text, I want us to see first we'll look at what happened with Adam and Eve. And I'm going to call them Adam and Eve. They're not even called that till later on, just so I don't be. Cons- I'm going to be consistent instead of husband and wife or man and woman. I'm just going to say Adam and Eve, even though in the text it's not. But we're going to look at what can we learn from Adam and Eve, and then also what can we, how can we apply that to our life. First off, as we're going through these 13 verses, and then we're not going to stay there though. So even as we're going to look at the fall, we're going to feel the weight of sin entering into the world, but we, we can't stay there. And we're going to look to Christ. So that's, that's kind of where we are going this evening. If you want to look at verse 1 with me, I want us to see, first off, questioning God's word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I don't know what you, one of the first questions I ask is like, when did this happen? Chapter 2, like everything's good, everything's very good. And then chapter 3, this serpent appears in the garden. You're like, so when did this kind of happen? If, if we think about this, we know God created all things. It was very good. And on the seventh day, he rested. Then we also know, it, it seems that if we go into Genesis chapter 4, Cain, their first child was conceived in sin. So they had Cain after the fall. And so if Adam and Eve were being obedient, they were called to be fruitful and multiply. And they hadn't yet had a child. It could maybe be in the first month that they were in the garden. That it happened sometime within this time frame because after that, then they had their first child. They, you know, Eve conceived. I'm, that's what I'm thinking just looking at the text. So it seems to maybe be within the first month that all of a sudden this serpent appears. If that makes sense to you, if you're following kind of how I got there. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. This word crafty, it could be positive, could be a negative term. The positive could be like discerning, sensible. Negative, obviously, shrewd and crafty. And that's what we see here, this shrewd, this crafty, this tricky 
animal that appears here in the garden. But another question, not only like when, when did it happen, so maybe in the first month of creation, but where did the serpent come from? I don't know if you, you're like all of a sudden there's just this serpent kind of sliding around. And we look at different scriptures and the rest of the Bible, it kind of describes who is this serpent and where did he come from? Well, we know this serpent, it says in, in Revelation 12, 9, it calls Satan the great dragon, the ancient serpent, devil, Satan, and other uh, parts of the Bible disguises himself as an angel of light. In other parts, he's the prince of the power of the air. In other parts, he's the accuser. That is the great, the ancient serpent. That's what we find here in Genesis chapter 3. In the rest of the Bible, like that's the devil. That's the accuser. Disguises himself as an angel of light. But in fact, he is a fallen angel. Again, I don't know if, you're, if you've been with us, we, we kind of... From looking at Job 38.7, how seemingly angels were around when God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. And, and they praised God for that. So angels were created before day four, and, and, and Satan, a fallen angel, he would have been created there, and he would have been good. Like he didn't rebel. Everything was very good to day seven. But at some point, uh, he rebelled. And just looking at a few other places in Scripture, just to get a kind of picture, who is this serpent? Looking at a few places in the Old Testament, the first is Isaiah 14, uh, 12 to 14. There's these few passages in the Old Testament, and it's like, okay, it's talking about the king of Babylon. But when I read to you what's written there, you're like, clearly this is not talking about the king of Babylon. It's talking about Satan. So we can have a little bit more background information on this serpent that appears there. In Genesis chapter 3. Looking at Isaiah 14 verses 12 to 14. Isaiah wrote this. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star son of dawn. Right? That's not the king of Babylon. How you've fallen from heaven. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. Above the stars of God, I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So here we can just see this picture of Satan's heart. Wants to be higher than God. Though made as an angel, wanted to usurp the place that God had. Another place I just want to bring your attention to is Ezekiel 28. Looking at verses 11 to 17. And again, so this part is talking about the king of Tyre, part of the, the, one of the ancient civilizations. But as I read it again, you're like, okay, that's not talking about the king of Tyre. I believe this again, this is describing Satan, and we can learn a little bit more about this ancient serpent. Ezekiel 28, verses 11 to 17. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Some of man raise a, a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you are the signet of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. That's not the king of Tyre, but I believe this is talking about that ancient serpent. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub, 
type of angel. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst. And you sinned, so I cast you as a profound thing from the mountain of God. And I, I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes upon you. So again, we learn two things about this serpent. As it appears, he wanted to be like God. And he was prideful at his beauty, at how he was made. And at some point, Satan rebelled against God. And, and he ends up here in the garden. Just a, a little background for this. One question we can ask is, as a serpent appears, is this actually Satan or Satan uh, possessing the snake? And we're not sure, because at times we see in Scripture Satan possessing individuals. Like Satan, how he kind of filled Judah, Judas, as Judas went and portrayed, betrayed Jesus, right? But so we see the snake in the garden, whether it's possessed by Satan or actually Satan himself. That's who he is, a little bit more of his background. He was made beautiful, he was full of pride, and he wanted to be above God. And so it's no surprise what we see him doing to God's good creation. Turning back to Genesis chapter 3, looking at this snake. One commentator, Henry Morris, says this, Before man could bring sin into the world, he must be persuaded to sin by an agent external to himself, since there was yet nothing within his own nature to lead him in such a direction. Just think about this, right? Man, woman, Adam and Eve were made good. Very good. They didn't have anything, any inclination in them to kind of choose evil. And all of a sudden this snake appears in the garden to bring this temptation. We can ask ourselves, why did God allow the snake to be there? And ultimately, I think it's the same reason he had a tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said, you're not to eat from that tree. Why did he put the tree there? Why was the snake there? Well, God had a plan. God's plans and purposes are far above ours. And he had a holy plan of saving some through the death and resurrection of his son. For this would give him the most glory. God does that which gives him the most glory because he alone deserves it. And maybe we can't think through all the intricacies of why he would do that, but God allowed the snake to be here, allowed the tree to be there, and allowed mankind to fall into sin. But he had already had a plan of redemption of his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem them. Amazing. So what, what's the, the question the serpent asks as he meets with Eve? He says to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? A question. The first question that appears in Scripture, interesting, is questioning God. And the question that's meant to like grow doubt in Eve's mind. Did, did God actually say that? Meant to question God's word. That was what she said. Notice that the serpent asks Eve, not Adam. If you're with us last week, we learned that even God created man first, and then from man, right? He created Eve from the from his rib, and even God's even showing it in a kind of authority there in creation order. That in, in marriage, that man would take the leadership, 
equal yet having different roles, but where does Satan go? He, res he, he doesn't care about God's authority, how God made it go straight to Eve. And ask her to question the Lord. Also notice, well it says here, did, did God actually say, and the word that the serpent uses, Elohim. If we look in chapter 2, the way God reveals himself is he creating man and woman is, is Lord God or Yahweh Elohim, God's personal covenant name to his creation, to humanity. Satan, Satan doesn't know God as Yahweh Elohim or Lord God, right? Just God. Did God actually say? Questioning God's word, that which he spoke and he gives, gives doubts, right? Gives doubts to Eve. We're in a day and age where if you want to actually look smart, just question everything. I don't know if you, if you realize that. The day and age in which we live, if we say it's like a, a postmodern time where we want to question everything that has gone before us and, and we're like smart. Like, oh, uh, this is a pulpit. You're like, is it a pulpit? Oh, I don't know. We're all sitting on chairs. Like, are they, are they chairs? And it, honestly, if you just question everything in our day and age, people are like, and that person knows something. <laughs> this is the day and age in which we are. The, the lunacy in the, in the time that we're in, the craziness, just question everything. But Satan causes doubt by questioning God's word. Do we, do we question God's word at all? Does our society question God's word in the time that we live? I think the first two chapters of Genesis that we've been looking at, everything that we've been talking about is questioned within our society. Was there actually a, a God? Is a God? Will be a God who created the heavens and the earth? Is, is God actually sovereign? Is He actually control of everything? Are, are, are man and woman actually made in the image and likeness of God? Or just accidents? Like questioning everything. Were man and woman actually made for a purpose? Actually made to have a relationship with God? Or are they just purely accidents? Not really anything. Just do whatever you want. Are we actually made to live for a life to come? We're like, no, this life is just it. Questioning everything. Were we actually made? Did God actually make marriage between a man and a woman? Again, everything is questioned, right? And did God actually make everything very good? Or what about, is there only one way to God through Jesus Christ? Right? We live in a day and age like, no, you got to question. No, no. Are, are there not other ways? Where it says in the Bible, or Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. But again, everything is up for grabs. Everything is questioned. And so this serpent opens up the conversation questioning God. In verse 2 and 3, we see the woman's response. And the woman said to the serpent, We, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. One thing we maybe haven't even addressed, there's a talking snake. 
and Eve is responding to the snake. But, but we actually don't know at what point this came in and, and whether, like, Eve, maybe she hadn't seen all the animals. Maybe she didn't even know that, you know, the animals weren't going to talk. Or, or maybe before the fall, maybe they communicated in some way, shape, or form. And, and a lot of people can make a big deal because what was said to Adam, if you look at verse 16, 2 verse 16, God said to Adam, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. No more, no less. That's what we have recorded. But yet when we look at Eve's response, she says, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And some people make a really big deal, like why did she add, unless you touch it? If we, if we just think about this, maybe, maybe that's how Adam taught her. Because Adam was the one, or the man was the one who was first given the instructions, and then later on Eve was made, and then he passed on that information to her, and maybe she's like, what, what about that tree? Yeah, don't go near that tree. We'll, we'll die if we touch that tree. Maybe he summarized it, and maybe she, that's how she got it. But I want you to see that that's actually not the first sin. It's coming from Eve saying that wrong, adding to God's word. So, so maybe it's not as big a deal as some people make out of it. Because what was her sin? Her sin was eating the fruit. Again, though, the proper response should have been, but I think all of us would have maybe been tricked and tempted. Did God really say yes? Yes, God did say. But that was not Eve's response. So then the conversation continues. Now, before the serpent is questioning God's word. Now he's questioning God's goodness. Verses 4 and 5. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So we have the first question in the Bible from the serpent. Now we have the first lie in the Bible. Again, he's the father of lies. Jesus says of of Satan in John 8:44 he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him when he lies he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar the father of lies Satan's desire again is to be like God to usurp his authority and so he's trying to destroy God's good creation Adam and Eve and what he has made hey if you eat of this you'll you'll be like God really that's Satan's desire he wants to be like God he wants to take his place I want you to hear this quote from a commentator. He says, Satan's methodology was threefold. First, he raised doubts as to the wisdom, just, justice, and love of God. Second, he made a direct contradiction of the word of God. And third, he claimed that disobedience to God will result in the highest good. Right? Like Satan is basically saying, first, he questions the word of God. And second, he questions the goodness of God. Like, actually, I think God's holding something back from him. And what, he, what he's holding back is you'll become like him. Do we ever think like that? Maybe he was like, man, does, does God really know what's good for me? Do we ever think like that? Does God actually know what's best for me? Is God holding something back for me? And sometimes we think that like, yeah, I know maybe I'm not supposed to do this, but it'll make me happy. 
And I think God's holding something back for me because He wants me to be happy. Or maybe I know I'm not supposed to go over here and, and do this thing. And I know God doesn't want me to, but I think I actually know better. That's in a sense where we're saying, like, God, you actually don't know. And we're not trusting your goodness. We're not trusting what you have made us for. Again, in both of these kind of temptations, one, not trusting God's word, questioning it, and then questioning God's goodness. Again, the answer should have simply been, yes, God has said, and actually, and God is good, and I trust him. But it wasn't. The, the seeds of doubt were starting to be laid within Eve's mind. And so verse, verse 6 we see as a conversation leads to the act of temptation. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. I want us to, to see here, she, she was enticed. She saw that the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. She's being drawn in. The tree was to be desired to make one wise. So these, notice these three things of enticing her and bringing her into a temptation to eat. And then what did she do? She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Now the question was, was Adam there all along? And again, people will kind of disagree on this. I just think it's, it's interesting in Scripture as they're looking back in the New Testament, they say Eve was deceived, not Adam. I don't think Adam was with her all along. I think he came with her as she took the fruit and then ate together. But I don't think Adam was there the whole time. But for sure, Adam in, in not stopping his wife was a failure in, in leadership. I'm sure they, they, they'd be able to recognize what that fruit was. Hey, don't eat from that tree. And they could recognize that the fruit, so maybe when Adam came and Eve had the fruit, it would have been like no questions where that fruit had come from. But they ate. Again, notice the, the nature of temptation here. If you'll turn with me or just listen and in 1 John 2.16, I think it's describing something similar. The Apostle John writing about the world, he wrote in 1 John 2.16, All that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Notice those three things, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Again, what happened with Eve? She saw it was good for food, the desires of the flesh. It was a delight to the eyes, Again, the desire of the eyes. Desire to make one wise, the pride of life. It had all three of those things in the temptation present, and she fell in. Again, just thinking through temptation, just looking at James chapter 1, verses 13 to 17. James describes what temptation is like. I'm sure we all have experienced, we could all co co relate. He writes this, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. 
Then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So we see here how temptation, how we're led, whether it's a thought, thought burns to desire, entices, and we, and we go and we move into sin, and sin leads to death. So we understand this. I just want to point this out. God doesn't tempt anyone. But in fact, he always provides a way out. Just to, to read to you, 1 Corinthians 10.13. Uh, Not going there fully, but as we start to, it's just like, man, sin is starting to take hold of people. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Hear this, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And friends, we know that what is the way of escape? It's a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. Led by the word of God, applied by the spirit of God in our lives. That's how we can live it. I just want to again bring your attention to Psalm 119. well-known verse how can a young person this is 119 verse 9 how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word verse 11 i've stored up your word in my heart that i might not sin against you just starting to think of battling temptation what does that look like again what we prayed earlier 119 verse 36 incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. If we can know, if we can be enticed, if our desires are being pulled away, if as we're starting to think and, and dwell on things we shouldn't do, we're being pulled to sin and to death, we can pray according to God's word. Lord, change my desires. Lord, grab hold of my eyes. Grab hold of my thoughts. Lead me in your way. But, but we know the story we read, but they ate. They each ate of the fruit they weren't supposed to. In verse 7, we see the result of sin. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. It's amazing that just as you read, there's not like exclamation mark, like, stop, what just happened? Something monumental has just shifted. In 2.25, it says the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And all of a sudden, their eyes were open. Did they gain a benefit at all? No, they, they in fact gained an understanding of evil because before they had an understanding of good and good only. And now they ate from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Now they had an understanding of evil. And their eyes were open. I don't know about, about you, if maybe at a young age or something, you know, you, you have this innocence and then you see something you're not supposed to and your, your eyes are open. It changes you. Or, or maybe you, you hear a joke and maybe you don't even get the joke. Everyone's laughing and you're like, what? And then someone explains it to you. Now you know. Your eyes are open. And so all of a sudden they saw things in a different light they had never seen before. We can learn so many things 
here. One, it proves that Satan is a liar. Right? He, he promises life. Instead, actually, he's going to bring death. He promises, hey, you're going to be like God, but actually we're going to see, it actually separates us from God. He promises good and it's actually evil. Friends, we, just, we need to know this over and over again, comparing maybe what we hear of Satan's lies within the world, comparing it to God's word. And do not be deceived. What kind of lies do we believe from, from him today, just as Eve was, was putting this fruit in front of her and saying, yeah, eat. You, you will be like God. Just, just a few that kind of came off my, my mind. Friends, may we not be deceived, deceived from this. The lie that stuff will satisfy. If, we do, if I just get this thing, nah. Oh, and then we get it. That's ah, not it. Do, do not be deceived by this lie in our culture. Stuff will not satisfy. I say don't be deceived by this lie that entertainment is neutral. You know, whatever we watch, whatever we listen to, there's worldviews present. Shaping our hearts and minds. We just have to be aware of that entertainment is not neutral. So even as you, I'm not saying don't watch anything. As you're watching, just be aware like, okay, this is what they're trying to teach me. This is what they're telling me. This is how they're telling me to worship. This is what they're telling me is important and valuable. And, and lastly, don't, be the, don't believe the lie that's present in our world that this is all there is in life. And just, just make the most of this life. Enjoy this moment because that's it. That's a lie. It's not it. We have eternity to look forward to. If you're walking with the Lord. If not, you have eternity separate from Him in judgment. That's the truth. So even, even this, this picture, as, as they ate it and the eyes of both of them were open, they knew that they were naked. It's actually a different Hebrew word that's used uh, than in, in chapter 2. In chapter 2, it just seems like it's, it's innocent. This is who they are. God made them good, very good. So there's no sin in, in, in them just being as they are. But all of a sudden, they have sin or shame attached to their nakedness. Because their eyes were open. They didn't win. Sin entered the picture. It says in Romans 5.12, Sin came into the world through one man, and death spread through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Then we see every human being after them now had a sinful nature, a natural tendency to, to want what you want when you want it now. The question is, like, how bad is it? Okay, sin entered into the world. I just want to read a few verses of Scripture, kind of draw a path with you. With you. Genesis 6, 5. This is just before the flood, Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Genesis 8, 21. The second part. The intention of man's heart is ever is, is evil from his youth. Psalm 51, verse 5, the psalm that David wrote after he sinned with Bathsheba. Psalm 51, 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Even from birth, 
Now everyone born with this sinful nature, this tendency to go away from God. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In Romans 3, verses 10 to 12. It is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Friends, we are all descendants of Adam. We are born sinners, and we are born with a natural inclination to turn away from God, to run towards sin. Even as we, as we see, just even as you have children, you don't have to teach children how to hit. You got to hey, don't hit. Right? None of us, as you have little kids, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm going to teach you how to be selfish. You're like, no, I've got to teach you how to share. Because it's natural to be selfish. It's natural to hit. Because we're born with a sinful nature right from the get-go. Again, we want what we want and we want it now. This is humanity. This is us as individuals. History shows us, our lives show this. We know this to be true in the depths of our hearts and our souls. Friends, if, if that's true, if everyone's born with a sinful nature, why are we so surprised at the time we're living in? Adam and Eve, with their eyes open, naked, feeling shame. And what do they do in response? They cover themselves with fig leaves. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Apparently, fig leaves were, would maybe be like the biggest leaves that they had available. But they're like, we gotta, we gotta do something. We're sin, we're sinning, we finally feel shame. And so they covered themselves with these fig leaves. Isn't that, that's the answer, right? They're like, okay, now we know there's something wrong and we're gonna cover it up. We're going to hide it. Friends, don't we do that ourselves? With our own sin, we have our own fig leaves. Sometimes it can, it can be just nice clothes. that You know inside, you know what you've done, you know the sin you have there, but man, if I can put on some maybe brand name stuff, look a little better, that could be like a fig leaf. It could be just like success striving for something, like if I can just attain this and I'm just running in this direction, it's covering up the sin that I have in my life. It could be drugs and alcohol. It could be running after media or entertainment. Many, many fig leaves to cover our sin. It could be good deeds. It could be caring for those less fortunate a good thing. It could be going to church. I know I'm a sinner, but I'm just, I'm gonna, I know I'm going to do this. And that's going to cover over my sin. We come up with all types of ideas all types of fig leaves. Friends, seeking to cover over our sin with fig leaves is like someone finding out they have a cancer that's ripping and tearing through their body is going to destroy them. And then they go and they're like, I'm just going to get a new shirt, maybe some new pants. Put it on, like, now I'm good. No, you have a sickness that's in you that's destroying you that needs to be dealt with. It's not this outward covering that we need to do. It's this inward renewal that needs to happen. We have a problem, sin in our hearts. Adam and Eve had a problem. We look at the result of this in, in verse 8. We see 
of sin separates us from God. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees. Think about the reality of Eden. I guess the Hebrew word here kind of, it creates this like, it's a daily habit that God was just walking in the garden. And that Adam and Eve were walking with God often. This is something that often happened at this point. God's walking. Again, notice the name, the Lord God. Yahweh Elohim, the personal covenant name of God. That's who he is. And he's so intimate with his creation. He would walk with them daily. But at this time, he's going and he's walking. And what do they do? Daily, they were walking with God. They're in his presence. And this time, they hear him coming and they run and they flee. And they go and they hide. And we see this. The one who made them so intimately in Genesis 2, 7. It says, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his left into his nostrils, the breath of life. We see how God formed the woman, how he took uh, the, the rib from Adam and formed Eve and formed woman. It's very good. Yet they're running from that creator. They want to hide from him because that's what sin does. We want to flee from God, right? What can we learn from their actions? Sin separates us from God. We don't want to be around him. We don't want to be around people who follow him. Again, Genesis 3, we just see like one act of sin, one act of disobedience, and they want to leave God's presence. In fact, as we'll, as we'll read, as we think through, they get kicked out of the garden. One act of disobedience. Sin separates us from God. Psalm 5, 4 says, You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. Habakkuk 1.13 says, You who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong. We see sin separates us from a holy God. Cannot be in His presence. I also just want us to see on a side note that sin spreads. One act leads to another. Picking the fruit led to eating the fruit. Led to sharing the fruit. And as well she will see denying and then blaming. Verses 9 to 11, we see God calling them to account, or more calling Adam to account. But the, the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And I guess the, the you in, in Hebrew is singular. He's calling out to the man. Isn't that interesting? As a sin happens, he's like, hey, Adam, where are you? He doesn't say, hey, where are both of you? But he calls Adam to account. Adam was to have the leadership there. Again, that's, again, that's why the serpent went straight to Eve. Right? So notice, he doesn't call both of them. Adam, where are you? And again, a question that God already knew the answer to. God's everywhere present. Adam's answer, and he said, I, he I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. What a sad reality, right? The one who created and formed Adam, and now he's afraid to be in his presence. The God who's so good and so gracious that sin would separate us in such a way that we'd be afraid to be in his presence. And God's response, he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The question here he knows the answer to, an opportunity though for, for Adam to come forward, for Adam to confess. But we know that's, that's actually not what happens. 
verses 12 to 13, we see the blame game for sin. The man said, the woman you gave to be with me. Isn't that interesting? He tries to blame God. <laughs> the woman that you gave to me, she gave me fruit of the tree. And I ate. I, and I'm sure he whispered that. Right? This is what, this is what we can do with sin. We, like, we're blaming other people. So Adam, he like, kind of blames God. Then he blames Eve. Then the Lord God said to the woman... What is it that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So the woman blames the serpent. We'll continue on Genesis uh, 14 and chapter 3 uh, next week, continuing on to see the curses that are laid upon all of them for this. Adam blames God, blames Eve, then admits he ate, then Eve blames the serpent. Right? Don't we do this with sin? We can, again, pick on kids. We can see kids, the kids get into a fight, you're like, Hey, what's going on here? They did that. Did you do anything? No, they did this. But I don't know about you. Can't can we do the same? With sin, like never really taking ownership? I don't know about you, but like just the time we're living in. It's, it's a hard time. And I, and I think we're, a lot of us psychologically are, are not firing, firing on all cylinders. Like that's just the reality. But we, can't, we shouldn't be able to blame that and then sin. Or, or sometimes, I don't know about you, we can slip up, we can get angry or upset. Do different things. Maybe look at what we're not supposed to look at. Hey, I'm tired. I'm hungry. I feel lonely. Oh, it was these other people I was with. That was a bad situation. We can point in so many different directions instead of taking ownership. Yeah, that is my sin. Friends, true repentance says, yes, that's on me. I'm the sinner. I just want to, so we look at what Adam and Eve did. Now I just want to turn our attention upon ourselves. You guys know the story of, of the tax collector and the Pharisee in, in Luke chapter 18. Jesus says this, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves and they, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He told this parable to other people who are like, I'm not the sinner, that person's the sinner. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. What a prayer, right? Like, I'm not like him, I'm not like him. And then what does he even say? I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. What's he doing? He's, he's laying down his, his fig tree coverings. His own righteousness. But the tax collector, look at this, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Yeah, it's mine. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. True, in true repentance, friends, there is mercy. So we see in Genesis 3, half, half the chapter, like, do you feel the weight of sin, the seriousness of it? How through one man sin entered into the world, that all men, women, Children will be born sinners. 
But friends, we can't finish there. Because like, where, where are we now? Like we're, we're in a time, if we were to read through the scripture, there's creation, everything made that, that God made was very good. And then we're right now we're looking at Genesis 3, the fall where sin entered into the world, brokenness and shame. But then we know that God had a plan, right? He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. And he was buried in the ground. He rose again. And where are we? We're, Jesus Christ has already done that. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father or awaiting the return of the Son of Jesus Christ. That's where we are right now in time. Let us not forget it. Friends, I just want to bring this attention to you. The temptation of Christ in Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. I just want you to still remember in the garden, Eve, there was kind of three things. She was enticed. Right? Remember the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. The three kind of temptations. Jesus, after he's baptized, he's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Look at verse 3. And the tempter came to him. This is the same person as a serpent. And said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What does he do with the temptation? He answers with, this is actually, this is what God said. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, You will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. The devil's actually quoting scripture, misquoting it. Jesus again, how does he respond? Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And now a third time, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Three temptations. Jesus, what does he do? He meets all of them with the word of God. He was faithful where Adam failed. Did Jesus say no? He answered with Scripture. He knows what God has said and He knows the goodness of the Father. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. But even more than that, we know that Jesus, He came to earth, God in the flesh, He lived a perfect life, and He died on the cross for our sins, for our sin and our shame. Remember Satan's question, did God say, I want you to hear what God has said in his word. In 1 Peter 2.24, speaking of Jesus Christ, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. As God said, yes, he said also in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin, speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you get it? Do you get what he did? He took our garbage, our brokenness upon himself, Jesus Christ on the cross. And what do we receive? We received his righteousness. For all who believe, his perfect life covering us. Forget fig leaves, we get Christ. 
Forget being separated from God. We're reconciled to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. Again, how do you receive this? Through repentance and faith, through trusting in Jesus. Repentance would be acknowledging, yes, I am a sinner. There's no blame game. No, like yeah, this person did this. No, that person did that. It's owning it. No, I am the sinner. And Jesus, he died for me. He died for my sins. Repentance is also turning from sin to God. Not just, yeah, yeah, I, I did it. But also I see that that's wrong. And I'm going to turn from that. And I'm going to turn to the Lord. I, I love to use the language of surrender. God, you are in charge. My, my life is yours. Have you done that? I, I pray anyone listening who doesn't know Jesus Christ in this way, that they would cry out to him and be saved. They would find forgiveness. They would find mercy. Simple as be merciful to me, a sinner. Trust in Christ. He'll forgive you. Friends, for those of us who have done this, who have believed in Christ, we know we still sin. We still have this sinful nature. But now we also have the Spirit of God. So what do we do when we sin? We shouldn't seek to cover our sins. We shouldn't run from God, but to Him. We shouldn't seek to blame others, but own it. Yes, I have done it. Again, what do we do? The same way that we believe in the first place, through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we need to do. I just want to bring your attention to one more scripture in 1 John 1, 8-9. It says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But hear this. This is what God has said. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a beautiful word from the Lord. Because what happens when we sin? The accuser comes. He said, you're guilty. You're a rotten sinner. You can't turn to God. But you have this wonderful promise here in 1 John. No, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did God really say yes? Yes, He did say. Friends, I, th I think this is how you grow in spiritual maturity. Let's continue to walk in repentance and faith. Yes, we have this brokenness still within us, but if you have the Spirit of God within you, when you have sin in your life, you, you repent of it. You deal with it and you go to God through Jesus Christ. And you ask for forgiveness and you keep walking with Him. I would just encourage you, even what we see through Adam and Eve, through this temptation, know the Word of God. Did God really say, yes, He did? And know the God of the Word. Is God good? Yes, He is. Has God really said yes? Is God withholding anything good from me? No. For all goodness flows from Him. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Every good and perfect gift is from our Father above who does not change like shifting shadows. We need to know who God is in His Word. Expose the lies. 
walk in his ways. Where Adam failed, Christ was faithful. And we're forgiven in him. Friends, take that to heart. If you'll bow with me, I'll I'll close this, this word of prayer. Oh Lord, I pray that we will have seen how gross, how destructive sin is is in our lives. I pray, Lord, we would see it in our own lives, ever clear. But I pray you give us courage, Lord, to confess it. Courage, Lord, to own it. But help us to see even more clearly the work of Jesus Christ. Lord, and find mercy and help as we come to you for for forgiveness, Lord. You are so good and so kind and so gentle to us. Oh, Lord, continue to do your work in us, I pray. Seal this word in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in response, if you'd like to stand and as we sing this song, may it be a prayer, may it be a word of response to God's goodness to us.